Thank you, praise team. You've ushered us into his presence. And I'm so glad to be here tonight. Well, I have the privilege of uh, introducing the speaker tonight. But first, I want to say that Section 4 is thankful for the four students that came here tonight from Urshan. We have Michael, Luke, Tanner, and my buddy Nathaniel. Appreciate you, bud. Glad you guys came tonight. Tonight we have Brother L.J. Harry. L.J. Harry is blessed to be married to the lovely Andrea Harry. Together they have two daughters, McKenna and Rayleigh. And L.J. serves as the curriculum director for the Pentecostal Resources Group of the United Pentecostal Church International. Now, I first met Brother Harry through his podcast, Simplify. Um, and uh, I was privileged in July to meet him face-to-face -face at this event. I don't know if you guys know what that is. NAYC, anybody know NAYC? Amen. We had an awesome time. And I know... And, and at NYC, there were lives changed. There were things that happened. But I'm just a little bit crazy enough to believe that on a Friday night, at a sectional rally, there are going to be lives that can be changed here. The atmosphere is already set. And if we will get behind the man of God, He's going to speak a word from God. Would you please welcome L.J. Harry? It's so good to be here tonight. And so good to be in the presence of the Lord. I was okay if the Lord just said, take, if he wants to take over, there's no preaching. That's, that was the gauge of a good service when I was a teenager right after the brontosaurus has died off. Kids would come out of a service and go, man, that was an amazing service. We had no preaching. Like, that was the bar. That was if you could shout out the preacher. There's another jewel in your crown when you get there. I was okay if the Lord took it over tonight. I was fine with that. But I'm so honored to be here, honored to have with me four Urshan gentlemen, just as Brother Chase mentioned. They came. They could be doing anything tonight. Could be studying for music appreciation, which is coming up very soon. I think you guys have a test. Sorry to say those words on a weekend. But they're here in the presence of the Lord, and what impresses me most about them is before service, they were seeking the face of God in the prayer room. And the reason we're experiencing the presence of God like we are is because there have been young people hungry for a move of God, hungry enough to call out to God and ask Him to move. And He's moving because you prayed. Thank you for your prayer and for your hunger. And it's an honor to be here in Belleville, thank you to Pastor Saboshi and this host church, Apostolic Church of Belleville, for opening your doors. We are grateful for the privilege to get to worship God in this building tonight and in this city. And to Brother Chase and your family, thank you so much for your hospitality to me. You have been so kind. I told him today his communication and hospitality have been outstanding getting ready for this rally. And I appreciate you and allowing me to be here. I want to preach to you out of the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Book of Matthew in your Bible, chapter 25. 
Leafing through the Old Testament. Stop when you get to red letters. That's Matthew. We're going to go to 25 and start reading at verse 1. And it's an honor to be here with the Beaks. I got to meet them for the first time when we were pastoring in Mount Vernon, Ohio. They came through ministering on deputation. And I could listen to that reading of Scripture all the day. That was awesome. I want to hear Brother Beak do that. I think we could raise some money for Move the Mission if we get Brother Beak to do that. Glad to have you here. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps but took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. All the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you. Rather, you go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus gives his altar call. He says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. On this Friday night in 2023, nearly 2,000 years removed from the time of this writing, I want to preach to you, Here comes the bride, groom. Jesus is coming. Would you lift your hands and let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Thank you, God, for your word. Have your way. I feel such a heaviness in this house tonight. If there's just one young lady, one young man not ready, you have engineered this entire service. You have saturated this atmosphere, charged it with power and conviction. I pray before any one of us leave tonight, every one of us will be right with you. God, I thank you. Encourage those who are down. Bring back those who have walked away. I'm asking you, God, get every one of us ready for your coming. I thank you for what you're going to do. Use this word to minister to your people. I ask you to do this in the name of Jesus. I praise you. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, will you turn around and shake hands with a few people? God and you may be seated they're going to be setting up a few things so do not worry everything is okay there's no need to run for the exits my sister and I I have a a sister who's 22 months older than I am and when she was younger we were younger she always told me she was older now that I'm older (laughs) or we're older I remind her she's older than I am somewhere that switched I don't know when it was but when we were we were kids we rode the bus to elementary school we lived in the country at the end of a quarter of a mile long driveway It was a long way to walk. It was pretty much, we had to cross the time zone in order to get to where the bus stop was. During the winter, my mom would walk us to the edge of the driveway to make sure we got on the bus. We didn't get frostbite. But during the warmer months, we were left to fend for ourselves. So we developed a little routine. We got up early. 
We got ready. We choked down our Cheerios. We brushed our teeth. I, I think most of the days we did. We walked down the driveway. We caught the bus. We went to school. We learned a lot. We came home. We did our homework, and we woke up the next day, and we did it all again. It was a good system. But then one day, something happened. Something strange happened, and I, don't, I still don't know to this day what happened. I was around 8. My sister was around 6, or I was around 8. My sister was around 10. Something changed. I don't know if we took, if we maybe got up later, maybe we took our sweet time pouring our milk. Something happened. We walked out the front door down the driveway. And I remember this to this day. As I'm walking down the driveway, I'm taking my time. I'm spinning around, coming down the driveway. And my sister's looking at me like, how much sugar do they put in those Cheerios? And as I'm spinning around and I spin around toward the road, I see a very familiar yet frightening sight. I see a familiar yellow school bus pull up. We're not even past the railroad tracks. And I see this bus pull up and stop in front of our driveway. And then I I kind of see as they open up the doors and I hear the air brakes. And it looks like our bus. And it sounds like our bus. But it can't be our bus because we're not at the end of the driveway yet. But then I watch as the bus doors close and then I hear the air brakes. And I listen as and the bus drives away. And it dawns on me as an eight-year-old, the one bus assigned from the school to us to pick us up and take us to the school, we have missed it. Wish I could explain that sinking feeling in my stomach to this day. I still have dreams about missing the bus, nightmares. And I know that another bus isn't coming. That same bus won't come again until tomorrow to pick us up. So how are we going to get to school? I'm eight. We could go home and explain this to mom. That's not an option. We could just hang out at the mailbox all day until the end of the school day and go home as if nothing happened. Or we could walk five miles down State Route 13 on the very slender shoulder. Dodging semis and combines, we lived in the country. And we could get to school as pioneers, heroes. Maybe there's a Hall of Fame for this kind of stuff. They're not ideal options, but they were options because we missed the bus. Buses come once a day. Weddings come once in a lifetime. People in this parable, they don't just miss a bus, they've missed a wedding. And that's altogether different because weddings in their day were very different than weddings in our day. Weddings in our day... We look at their story in Matthew 25, this parable, we go, how in the world could they miss that? See, weddings in our day come with cute Canva, save the date, so you know exactly the day and even the time when they're going to get married. But not so in Jesus' day. Once the young man met the young lady he wanted to marry, he asked her father for her hand in marriage, and then they worked out a high price he would be willing to pay to purchase the right to provide for her. They struck a deal and the groom-to-be ran back to his father's house where he began to build onto his father's house a place, preparing a place that would one day be their home and he would return to take his bride only when he had finished preparing the place for him and for her. That should sound familiar. Jesus knew the high price it would cost him in order to purchase us as his bride, to take a church for his name and for his bride. He knew it would cost him his precious, sinless blood, but thank God he was willing to pay the price to purchase the right to take us as his bride. And I remember Jesus telling his followers, 
I have to go away. But if I go away, I'm going to go to my Father's house. And I will prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. If it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. It's taken him now 2,000 years to prepare a place for us as his bride. And when you look into the night sky and see that star-studded sky and you see how beautiful and grand it is, just imagine what heaven must be like. If it's taken him now 2,000 years to prepare this eternal home for us, imagine how beautiful, how breathtaking heaven must be. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, eye has not seen and ear has not heard and it's never even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. I've come on a Friday to preach an old message to a new generation and tell you that we need to lift our eyes from the here and now and remember we're working and living for the there and then. One of these days, Jesus is coming back for his bride. And he's going to take us to a heavenly home that is far too wonderful for words. Many of you have been worried about term papers. Others have been worried about terminal illness. But on that day when Jesus comes back, Those won't even be a memory when he comes back for us. Given the scriptures and the signs we see, I believe that day will dawn very soon when the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ who have gone on before, they're going to rise up first, but we're right behind them. We which are alive and remain, we'll be caught up together with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. On that day, we're going to see him. We're going to look on his face. We're going to see the one. We sing to him down here, but we're going to sing to him as we see him up there. What a day that will be. Hallelujah. The scriptures declare we shall see him and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we're going to join in with the angels and we're going to gather around the throne and we'll cast our crowns at his feet and we will sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And we'll join with the elders who are already there and we're going to sing you are worthy for you have redeemed us. You were slain and you have redeemed us by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. People from Scotland and the British Isles and the United Kingdom, they're going to be there, Brother Sister Beak, because you've been faithful to feed the sheep over there. Thank God for that from every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We're going to join in with them and we're going to worship God. The temptations that trip us up here won't be a memory when Jesus comes back. We will exchange every handicap here for wholeness there when Jesus comes back. And eternity for every one of us will begin with his nail-pierced hand, wiping every tear from our eyes. For every one of us who have ever loved and lost, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. For every one of us who have ever grieved, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And there shall be no more death and no more sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he makes all things new. Every disease, every sickness, every malady, we will lay it down here for wholeness there. I've got great news for every high schooler in here, middle schooler. No more polynomials over there. You have to memorize the periodic table of elements over there. Those algebra tests and science fairs that steal your sleep and your appetite. Not over there. We'll leave the woes and worries of this old world behind. And we will go, and as James Hill 
was right to write, what a day that will be. It'll be a day like every other day before Jesus comes back, but a day like no other day when Jesus comes back. I'm so glad to preach tonight to the Bride of Christ in Illinois, section 4, our bridegroom. He's coming. Hallelujah. He's coming. In Jesus' day, the bride had no idea what day her bridegroom was coming. And that sounds inhumane to us. She could not text him. Hey, where are you? She couldn't look on Life 360 to see, man, he's still there. What in the world? Why, why isn't he getting here? She couldn't even look on Instagram and watch as the house is being built to see the place being prepared for her. And I know some of you are like, well, how in the world did they survive? I don't know. They did it somehow. What kept her going from the day he left until the day he returned was the promise that he's coming back. And she watched the road to see, is this day that day? Is this day the day when my bridegroom is coming back for me? In the beginning, she's giddy. Probably tried on her wedding dress to see what she would look like as a bride. Her life had changed ever since he proposed and then he went away to prepare a place. She lived different. She looked different. She wore a veil when she went out in public as a silent sign that I am spoken for. My bridegroom has already purchased the right to call me his bride and he's coming back after he prepares a place for me. That should sound familiar. We apostolics live different. We look different. We are different. And that's okay. It's just a silent sign to the world around us that I'm spoken for. My bridegroom has purchased me with his own blood and he's gone away to prepare a place. And I don't do what you do and I don't go where you go because I'm waiting for him. I'm looking in that eastern sky. One of these days, this day will be that day. And on that day, he's coming back for me. But as minutes turned to months and months turned into a year, maybe two, she might have gotten discouraged. The longer he was away, the fewer the more faint were her memories of him. And this happened as early as the Apostle Peter's day. Just about 50 years or so after Jesus resurrected, there were several skeptics in Peter's day who did not think Jesus was ever coming back. And we read their line of logic in 2 Peter chapter 3. They asked the question, what happened to the promise that he's coming? For from the time of our ancestors until now, everything has remained just the same. Here's the deal, preacher. He hasn't come back yet. So it hasn't happened. Won't happen. Skeptics in our day believe what skeptics in his day believe. Preacher, pe preacher's been preaching that message ever since my grandparents could spell rapture. They thought he was coming in their day, but he didn't. And uh, my parents thought he was coming in their day, and he didn't. And I thought he was coming in my day. I remember when I was your age, around 14, 15 years old in high school one time, I told one of my friends at lunch, I said, I'll tell you what, bud, I don't think we'll see 1993, but I promise you this, we won't see 94. <laughs> that was only 29 years ago. Here we are. But I know this, we're closer now than we were then. And I truly believe we are closer, closer than we could ever imagine to the coming of the Lord. One minute after the rapture, this world will not argue with us anymore because we won't be here. And so don't be discouraged. Just because he hasn't come back yet doesn't mean he won't come back. That just means we're all the more close to his coming. But hear me tonight. If you're left standing after the church has been life lighted out of here, you will remember well every sermon 
you ever heard about the coming of the Lord. You remember every time God pulled on your heart to come to an altar and repent and get your heart right with Him. You remember every song you ever heard about the coming of the Lord. Every time your pastor preached and pleaded with you to please get ready, Jesus is coming. Every time God drew you to the altar but you wanted to go to the foyer but God said, well, just come back here. You remember very well every one of those messages, every one of those services, every one of those youth camp messages about the coming of the Lord. And if you are ready, you're going to be eternally glad on that day that you got right with God on this day. Because He's coming. But only God knows the day and the time He's coming. So He gave us the story to help us to know how to live while we're waiting. Finally, the day dawned when the bridegroom and the bride had been waiting for. He was finished preparing their place. And now it was time. He would leave His Father's house and He would lead a procession to go get His bride. And the story tells us that in, in that old first century ancient Near East custom, as he would hang up the hammer and put on his tux, he would come down the road and he would send a crier ahead of him. In fact, let me pull these up back a little bit. Space them out just a little. There we go. That one's good. This is kind of fun. There we go. This ought to get nice and cozy. He sent a crier ahead of him as he would leave his house to go to her dad's house. And the crier would come to the first town and would call out to the people in that town, Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. That was their invitation to come to the wedding. And somebody from that town would hear that cry and climb up onto their rooftop and would call out to the next town for them to hear, Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. And then somebody in the next town would hear the crier and they would hear the cry from the rooftop and they would climb to their rooftop and they would call out to the next town, Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. And that cry would reach the next town. They would get up on the rooftop and they would do the same thing. Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. That was the invitation to drop everything you're doing. Nothing matters right now. Just get ready for the coming. Of the bridegroom. Jesus told this parable in Matthew 25. And he lifted his voice in the inspired pen. And Matthew wrote it down. Behold the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. And Matthew heard that cry. And then it got into the apostles and the disciples. And they cried out from their epistles. Behold the bridegroom's coming. Go out to meet him. And then we step out of scripture into church history. And some of those in the dark ages and the reformation. They heard that cry. And they cried in their pulpits. Behold the bridegroom's coming. Get ready to meet him. And that cry reached our Pentecostal pioneers around the 1900s. And they cried out with a spirit-filled, spirit-led voice. Behold, the bridegroom's coming. you got to get ready to meet him. And that cry has come all the way down the centuries and all the way down the decades until your pastor has heard that cry and preached in your pulpit, in your local church. Behold, the bridegroom's coming. You've got to be ready to meet him. And so I'm just simply another voice on another pulpit on another night, but preaching the same message Jesus preached on the rooftop of Matthew 25. Behold, the bridegroom's coming. Let's get ready to meet him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's time to drop everything and get right with God. It's time to leave everything that's keeping you here and get right with God. It's time to hang up everything that's drawing you away from God and get right with God because He is coming.
Don't miss heaven for a girl. Don't miss heaven for a guy. Don't miss heaven for a job. Don't miss heaven for a sport. Don't miss heaven for money. Don't miss heaven for a name for yourself. Don't miss heaven for anything. The bridegroom's coming. He's preparing a place, but as soon as he's done, he's on his way. We've got to be ready. We've got to be right with God. In this story, you can stay standing if you want to. You can be seated. It doesn't matter. We're going to finish soon. We're going to pray. But in this story, typically we're the bride, but in this story we're the bridegroom, bridemaids because Jesus wanted to let us know there will be so many different people in the church who were ready at one time. But that doesn't mean you're ready for all time. Five of them wise, five of them foolish, five of them brought extra oil because they knew he might get stuck in traffic. So we're going to be ready. But the other five, they, they just did not. They had enough to start the day. They did great at youth camp. When they got into school and the coach pressured them, hey, if you just miss a few Friday nights, and yeah, I know we got practice on Sundays, but it's not that big a deal. They thought there was something more important, so they didn't bring any extra oil. The tragedy of this story is they ran out of time. After they had so much time, they just always thought they would have more time. You have to be so careful thinking next summer, next youth camp, next NAYC, I'm going to get right with God. I've got time until you don't. The tragedy of this parable is that they had so much time and they ran out of time because they thought they would always have more time. They told the wise, give us some of your oil. We don't have any, any left. And the wise said, we can't do that. You gotta go and get some for yourself. Find a midnight merchant. Good luck. So they ran to try to find some oil. And the wise told him, if you're quick enough, you can get back together. But if not, no. I'm sorry, but we can't share oil. That's something you and I just can't share. That answer should shake every one of us. I want to go to heaven with every one of you. One day, but there's one person I can make sure gets here to heaven, and that's me. And that's it. I can do my best to be salt and light and I can try to lead my family even, but I can't get them to heaven. I'm the only one that I can be sure gets from here to heaven. Your pastor cannot get you to heaven. Your youth pastor cannot get you to heaven. Your parents cannot get you to heaven. You're the only one who will stand before God that day without parents around you, without a pastor around you, nobody around you on that day. It'll just be you and God and he'll ask you, what did you do with all the time? You had so much time. What did you do with the time? And on that day, we'll give account to how we spent our time and lived our days. I pray we're living every day ready for that day because Jesus is coming back one of these days. When the foolish came back, they banged on the door and they said, open up to us. And Jesus responds from the other side, the shut door. He said, I don't even know you. A chilling hush fell over the crowd as Jesus finished the parable. These were in the right place. They had the right friends. They were dressed right, but they just thought, we will have a little more time. If you would all please stand. It would be a tragedy for any apostolic. 
any spirit-filled, spirit-led young person, young man, young lady, teenager, student, or adult, doesn't matter. It would be a tragedy for any of us to be in church and miss heaven after we were in so much church. To miss heaven because we just thought we would have more time, and so we decided we are going to go ahead and just see what it's like to live without oil for a little while. All the while not knowing that this day would be that day when Jesus would come. Would you please hear the, the plea of this preacher? The bridegroom's coming. And all that will matter then is that we're right with God now. Would you lift your hands? Let's begin to prepare our hearts. Conviction is heavy. It's, it's heavy in this house. We get right with God, first of all, through repentance. Only you know what's keeping you back from your relationship with God. Only you know what's drawing you away from God. It's time tonight to lay any of that down at this altar and say, God, nothing is worth my soul. If I'm in a relationship with somebody who's drawing me away, pulling me away from God, I'm going to break that relationship off. I've got to go to heaven. I can't miss heaven. If anybody or anything is more important to me than Jesus, I've got to break that relationship off. Nothing should be, could be more important to me than Jesus. If you've been putting off baptism for any reason whatsoever, you need to pray and ask God, God, I... I want to get right with you and I want your name on my life and I want, I want to enter in a covenant relationship with you through baptism. I'm not going to put it off any longer. I'm not going to put it off until I, I get some more in order. I'm going to repent tonight and I'm going to get baptized so your name can be on my life. You need to talk to your pastor, your youth pastor, your parents about being baptized in the name of Jesus so his name can be written on your life. And if you've never received the Holy Ghost or it's been a long time since you've been filled with the Spirit, tonight's a great night to come down to this altar and lift your hands and say, God, fill me or refill me again. I want to be full of the Holy Ghost. I I want as much oil in me as I can possibly get. I want to have so much oil in me that others are able to be blessed, that there's a light that shines from me to them to help them to find you. God, I pray, fill this whole house with your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, this altar is open. If you would come and seek God together tonight, let's come and pray. Let's come and repent. Let's come and get our hearts right with God. Let's come and make sure we are right with Him. Jesus, I love you and I want to be ready. I want to be ready for your coming. When you return, I want to be ready. When you come, I want you to find faith on this earth. I want you to find faith in me. When you come, God, I want to be ready.